Hello, hello. I'm Jared. Welcome to Write the Docs podcast. It's our second one in, so the first one went okay. We thought we should do another one. Um, let's go and have a look around and see who we have with us today. First off, we have Tom Johnson from San Jose. Hello, Tom. Hey, Jared. How are you? I'm very, very well. Hope the since the last time the podcast happened, we uh, we had a good month and um, are ready for Christmas. It's coming up. <laughs> I know. It's so close. <laughs> yeah. And the voice you just heard then was Carly Potter. Hi, Carly. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. How are you guys? Oh, really good. Really good. Now, over in Berlin, we have Chris Ward. How are you going, Chris? Good. And I'm a Christmas Grinch. Yeah. <laughs> Christmas band. <laughs> Christmas band. <laughs> Well, welcome everyone. everyone. Needs one. <laughs> Absolutely, we all need a Christmas screen. So, welcome everyone to the podcast. Thanks for joining. Um, boy, have we got a full dance card this time round? <laughs> yeah, we're going to have a chat this time um, about the topic of findability in your docs. The thing that we're going to be, I think, exploring the most, and this is probably a multifaceted question, but how do you make it so users can find what they're looking for? In your documentation. Now, there's a number of things that we think of immediately when we talk about findability, and of course, search is a big part of that. But there are other aspects as well that we should that we could probably dive into as well. A lot of the time, um, findability is something that sort of you take for granted because sometimes the services you use offer it um, as part of the the overall package. But if you're perhaps spinning up your own website or um, your own um, blog or those type of things, you might need to be thinking about searchability and findability in your docs. So let's dive in, uh, first of all, and have a think about some of the things that um, might constitute findability. I guess one of the things we've got is um, the overall thing of content, um, then the obvious thing of search. Um, there's things like navigation as well that we have to think of. Um, as well as um, perhaps some tagging of your content. Um, you've also got things like how you present links and how many are actually okay, because uh, sometimes you can have too many. Um, even things like you know the types of documents you have that are almost like gateways into your documentation, like quick reference guides and things mm. like that. Can we do so a quick round the room? Because I think that's I think I like the point you mentioned there that some tools have um, at least some elements built in, others you're mm. really doing it all yourself. So should we do a quick round the room of who's got the built-in tools and who, who has yeah, them? I think that's a good idea. Kelly, do you want to kick us off with that? What um, uh, services have you found that actually have quite good built-in tools? Yeah, well, okay. I don't, I, I can't really speak to that. I was actually thinking more along the lines of what I'm currently using, which is not built-in. It's um, um, we, the current help authoring tool we use is built-in house. And uh, it's very poor in all respects <laughs> to findability. <laughs> um, so this is, I'm glad, this is a great topic because I love it and hate it. Every time I read more about it, um, you know, come back around to it. It's like stuff you've read before, but when you have a bit of time away from your other projects, you're like, okay, I should really go back and work on this. You're like, oh, God, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that well enough or that thing. Mostly I, um, because I don't have tools built in, I use um uh, our customers failed searches, um, so those terms, and also just through researching our support tickets when I'm writing um, a, a new help topic or a whole set of new docs for a feature, I will just be reading their 
um, case tickets from the past about similar features, if not the same feature, and just pick up on the, the way that they describe things and make sure I try and get that um, plugged in as keywords. Um, I do a few other things, but I don't know. How about everyone else? Wait, hold on. I, I want to follow up with what you said. You said you, you look at customers' failed searches. How, can you mm. elaborate more on that? How are you getting those those analytics that or queries? is one thing that is built into this um, authoring tool that one of our developers here at Campaign Monitor built. So that's kind of cool. Like, um, to speak to the technical side of how he did it, um, I, I, I cannot. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, the way that it works in the system, um, we've got a page that we go to and it's like, so what are the top trending terms that actually the entire thing, sometimes you'll get you know, an entire sentence or one or two words and the highest number of failed search terms. And the, it works on the fact that if they search that term and within 10 minutes they contacted support, then it rates as a failed search. So there are definitely flaws to that because they could have been looking, they could have been searching for something while they're looking like, oh, that's right, I also have a question about billing contact support. If it's within that 10-minute window, I still get it as a failed search term. But then the other cool thing about it is that, now I'm just realising I said I had nothing built in. This is actually kind of cool. Um, it's kind of cool, actually. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> I was thinking about all the other things I've been researching over the weekend and none of that is built in. But um, it also, from the search terms then, it will link through to um, the customer's uh, tickets. So it might be five or six separate um, desk tickets is the current platform we use for answering um, customers' emails. And then I can go straight through to those and read, you know, did indeed they, you know, manage to find that thing or what were they looking for or how do they talk about that thing and well, try to then use so you've got a you've got a direct correlation between the searches a user is making as well as their their support logs, and their profiles. Yes. Wow, that's pretty awesome. Not their pro yeah, yeah, sort of their pro. I guess in terms of yeah, flicking straight through to the ticket, then yeah, it is their profile as hmm. well. So that is really cool. But we, <laughs> funnily enough, we're about to switch um, authoring tools, so I will be losing hmm. all of that. <laughs> Well, hopefully the other authoring tools you'll have will have that sort of functionality or even more awesome things that you can use. Yeah, I, I <laughs> <think> across, right? <laughs> yeah. How about you, Tom? What services have you seen that um, uh, uh, had pretty good search uh, functionality built in? Uh, so, okay. I, I wish I could speak better to search. Uh, right now, we're kind of in, in, a, in a transitional state with our authoring tools, and so the search that we have is like some custom built search probably off of Elasticsearch or something. And we don't have any kind of insight into the metrics. I have no idea if people even use it, to be honest. I don't know what they're <laughs> searching for. I don't know if it's helpful. I know that it's pretty poor. And it's, you know what, it, it's brought up this question over and over again. If your content is already online, it's indexed by Google. People yep. usually prefer Google. They love Google. Why is it that we try to build our own kind of crappy uh, emulations of, of search. Why don't we just use like Google search uh, for our content, whether that's Google custom search or some other kind of kind of thing. Uh, but at the same time, a lot of companies don't, don't really like that. They want to have more control over the search. Um, have you guys run into this kind of question about why don't we just use Google for search? So our marketing manager who is kind of, I suppose, his responsibilities for bringing people to the product and the website in the first place is basically of this uh, persuasion that we, I, have wanted to add internal search to the docs probably 
using Luna and it's kind of in progress um, just because I felt like people might search for a kind of broad term and then when they're in the docs, they might be looking for something more specific. But he's kind of of the opinion that no one's going to use it and everything we get from Google is enough and far better and why are you bothering? Uh, so so yeah. I guess we have two different opinions there. But I think we actually probably want to use search almost as a... Um, not strangely, not actually as a way to help people find things, <laughs> but as a way to find out what people are trying to find so we can make it easier for them to just find it in the first place without having to use search. So it's kind of like a quick and dirty research tool more than anything else. Um, mm. It's Chris, kind of been how, our perspective. Yeah. How are you capturing the user's queries? You mentioned lunar search. Uh, are you actually capturing a query off lunar search? Not yet. That's kind of what's in progress. I have used it on um, personal sites in Jekyll before, but um, at the moment, um, all of our, most of our docs at the moment are actually rendered through middleman, so something kind of similar, static site generator, and um, that's well, that's basically what the structure will be, um, and we're just going to use Luna probably temporarily mostly, as I say, just to kind of, for a few months, get an idea of what people are looking for. We're basically at the moment on a big mission to get as much data as we can on what people are trying to do. And then we can figure out better ways to surface it in the long run. So mm. a lot of the things we're trying at the moment are kind of short-term things to just test stuff, basically. Uh, you know, I, I want to talk more about Lunar if we can for a minute. Um, yeah. So if you have a static site generator, you don't usually have any kind of robust search and Lunar is like the best one you can integrate into tools like Jekyll or Middleman, I think, uh, and others. Um, and so this past week I was actually redoing a, a documentation theme and I was integrating Lunar following some great tutorials from uh, Jekyll.tips and so forth. But uh, um, the Lunar search works differently than, than uh, like, like you get more insight into how it works, at least with the way this this search is implemented with the Jekyll theme. It basically iterates through all your pages and stores all of the content into this uh, Windows store, and then users query against that that big list of content. Like usually, searches yeah. are black boxes; you don't really know what's yeah. going on behind the scenes. Yeah. But at least with this with this one, you can configure you can configure things like, oh, I'm going to have a, a store just like a, a storage of content just for this product, all the pages that are this product, and another search for pages are of, of the other product and kind of divvy things up and, and have more control over which elements get boosted and so forth. Do you have any more insight, Chris, into like the lunar configuration? To be perfectly honest with you, I've mostly just, yeah, I've mostly just used it on my personal site and it works quite well, actually. Um, but that's from me testing it. So I know what I'm looking for, of course, because I'm <laughs> testing it. Um, and I haven't, it's just my personal website, so I haven't really done too much um, digging to see how effective it is to people. I guess we'll find out soon. <laughs> yeah. Is that, is that um, just L-U-N-A, Luna? Not even. <laughs> Only one vowel. L-U-N-R. <laughs> 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 Which is, uh, it's supposed to be a lightweight version of solar search, yeah. which is much more powerful. Yeah, it's a Java backed one, I think, isn't it? It's all the, the all solar JavaScript. JavaScript. Yeah. Yeah. The, the lunar is just, yeah, it stores everything in like 
JSON file and you oh, just kind of look cool. through it. I, I, I shudder to think, like, if you actually had a big site, how performant it would be. It's not good. One yeah. of the things that they say, uh, I know that I've used uh, Luna as a plugin on Gitbook, and they say mm -hmm. it's okay for, you know, the smaller sites, but once you start to get a really big document, it starts to chug. So, yeah, mm -hmm. that JSON, the, the JSON format in that respect, I think, is it's probably not as performant as something like maybe a, a database back search, but it's still pretty good. Like it takes a lot to make it chug. It's surprising. Just, How many just pages? out of interest, sorry. Just, sorry, just out of interest, has anyone, um, because it's kind of is, was the sort of, I guess the, 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 the grand parent of search technologies, um, has anyone, had any of their documentation backed with Elasticsearch or something like that? I suppose it's supposedly and traditionally the best option. Has anyone actually used it for documentation? I think I, we use it here. I don't think it plugs in any way to our customer-facing documentation, and I haven't got my hands on it, so nothing really to report back about it. But I, think our, yeah. I think our, our search solution uses it, but... but like the person who built it is long ago transitioned elsewhere and like nobody else understands how it works. It's just this little box and you type in stuff and you get stuff back, right? It's like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm saying it's pretty configurable. Like the yeah. Elasticsearch is like any other sort of thing. It's pretty configurable, but you, you kind of got to know how it all hangs together. I know another really popular thing. I think when I was at Red Hat, they were using a Google appliance to actually do their searching on the site, so they'd actually purchased, um, I think it was uh, like an actual rack-mounted thing that you can get from Google. Um, I may be wrong there, but that's what they sort of made it sound like. That actually goes and indexes the sites that you point it to. And- um, yeah. Your own personal Google. Yeah, your little <laughs> mini, it's basically like on-premise Google search, which is pretty cool. But, and that means that it's very targeted. So, you know, you only yeah. point at your site, so therefore it starts to get a really deep understanding of what's in your site. So that's kind of cool. So any, have any of you here had the opportunity then in your technical writing careers to get your hands on the search engine that was being used for the docs to really fine-tune, like, you know, work on synonyms on a regular basis, fine-tune metadata, um, like content, what are they called, snippets that come up in the search results? What are they called? Snippets. Just snippets. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. <laughs> um, has anyone had that opportunity to be able to really get hands on? <laughs> I think that's Not in the documentation, my documentation era, but when I was working with Drupal implementations, we did, usually with um, Solar. That was kind of the, the traditional way then. And we used to set it up for clients. So okay. in the other way around. How, what they then did with it, I don't know. But <laughs> just, we used to set it up for them. Right. Yeah, so from my perspective, it's like it would be kind of cool to be able to do it, but I also know it would be a huge time suck. So I guess mm -hmm. I just, you know, deal with the fact, like, all right, I'll, I'll work on findability in other ways. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I once got to use, um, like, Apache Solar that was integrated into Drupal. And, and uh like it allowed you to configure facets uh, yep. so that when people search, you can filter down and stuff. I love yeah, that's, that. It's an awesome feature. Like honestly, to, to implement faceted filtering on search, you, you almost need a yeah. tool like this. Otherwise, you had to yeah. build something from scratch. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
but it's hard to figure out like what facets to do and how to make that all work. It, it, it almost requires uh, more bandwidth than technical writers have. You need a lot of time to do some of these tasks and it's usually not like allocated in, in a regular person's schedule so it get, gets pushed out of the way. Maybe yeah, tell me, so. you on it, Tom. Like, did you really get deep into it and have to go, okay, that's it, enough, stop touching it? Um, well, uh, yeah, and then we moved away from the tool as well. Um, or, or actually, no, I was trying to, sorry, I was trying to move away into some other process and I got distracted, but yeah. No, I, I think, it, like, configuring search, fine-tuning that process, figuring out uh, facets or other tags and analyzing all the queries. It's almost like a, another role uh, or, or something because um, there's people, I mean, if, if you really wanted to do it right, you'd have to spend at least a quarter of your time doing that, it seems like. Yeah. yeah. I think perhaps leaning on the people with that expertise and you know, just doing what we do as technical writers and collaborate with other departments in your organization, I think could be really useful there and get some insights. I know when I was at Red Hat, we actually had some um, some folks who were deep into the front-facing search components and how to actually get search working better there. And it was fascinating to listen to what they had to say about the things they do to make the site more searchable and information more findable. Mm. I, can't, then, I, can't. I find that so fascinating. And so as we agree that be very much like have a huge burden on your workload to be able to do both search and get the docs written. And then if there's someone else in the company who's taking care of that um, for maybe other content that the company produces. Mm. But then do you think they need to, could they even do that bit for you for the search engine for the help docs? Or do you think you need to have the in-depth knowledge of the help docs and the customer research strictly related to the support issues in order to do the job? Oh, my gut feel is they could probably give you a really good foundation and mm. then from there you could perhaps build on and experiment and tweak from there if you had actually access to the, the actual search engine backend. Yeah. Um, but I think if they set things up for you and it actually explained the why, because that's really important, isn't it? Like the understanding why they're doing that particular thing is the biggest missing piece in most cases with search because it's a bit of a black art. You know, there are a couple of tools that I've always wanted to play with out there that, that supposedly give you a lot more uh, analytics and configuration over search. And uh, I'm thinking of Swift Type and Algolia. Um, like those, yeah. those, these are companies whose sole specialization is search. You can wait pages, you can see queries, you can get all kinds of search specific metrics. Uh, but I've never been able to implement them. Like you have to get no. permission to have your content indexed on a third party server, which is usually like a big red flag to companies. Um, yeah. Even if your content is already on the web, it's crazy. I've actually had a go at using Algolia. Um, and they, for those who don't know, there's actually Algolia allow a documentation sites a free service um, that allows you to index your doc site. Uh, and return results. And I think, Tom, you might have had some experience with that, which we'll go into very shortly. Um, but I do know that from a, I guess, from a configuration standpoint, um, Algolia, I think, weighted towards people who perhaps aren't search experts and really try and guide you through that um, a bit. So yeah. it was quite good from that perspective. Uh, they, I've, they're, they're, as I say, they're, we were talking before the show, they have one office in Paris, so I've seen them a couple of times at 
conferences and expos and their whole booth pitch is usually at yeah e-commerce um media uh, video as well interestingly searching video uh, but very much aimed at kind mm. of yeah, yeah I think you don't have to know what you're doing just let us take care of it um, yeah it always looks give really us good. give us a url and we'll take it from there pretty much, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And really, that I think for most people, that's pretty much all they want. They just want mm -hmm. to say, "Look, I want to pay for a service that, if I need searching that much, I just want it to work, and I don't mind paying a bit extra for that." Um, what did you um, What did you find, Tom, when you were using Al the? Because you've used the the doc dot um, got with your service, haven't you? Yeah, I've just used it in an exploratory way. I was mm. I was trying to configure it to see. Um, like using the free account, if it could mm -hmm. work as like a default search for some uh, doc projects. But I, I, the way that they do the pricing is a kind of misleading. Uh, they say uh, like for the free account, I can't remember what it is, you get like 10,000 uh, records atomically indexed for free and the free account. Mm -hmm. So I had in my sample Jekyll site, I had like 70 pages. And I thought, oh, this will be like, you know, 70 or, or so records indexed. No, it was like 900 records indexed just off of those 70 pages. So, like, you got to understand uh, how they calculate the atomic indexing. And, and to be to be fair, their pricing is uh, probably cheaper than SwiftType. Like, SwiftType is 300 bucks to start. I didn't even see a, a starter package there. Um, but And all of these services are way cheaper than building the solution yourself, too. So, mm -hmm. I mean... <laughs> To be fair to them, and I think they'd be much better too than than any service you build yourself. But uh, I probably agree with you there. Like, they, I think you do get what you pay for, don't you, with these sort of services? So, yeah. But now I want to I want to bring up another point because um, we're kind of uh, we don't want to give the impression that um, findability is all based on how good your search tool is, because a lot of people will say that uh, like. You can have a great search engine, but if the content they're looking for doesn't exist, they're not going to find it, right? There are a lot yeah. of other reasons why people aren't finding the content than just having a poor search. Yeah, absolutely. So what sort of things can we do um, from that perspective to um, improve, I guess, the, the content that we're searching for to make it more discoverable? Something that I don't do, but I, I do kind of think it's a good idea. Um, <laughs> is um, I do quite. I just know from my own experience when I'm going to like you don't know the terminology used for a product that you're just about to get into, especially if it's a, you know even a little bit complex. And like, okay, here we go, I'm learning a new tool. Oh, I don't even know what this thing's called that I vaguely want to do. So I do quite like um, a tag cloud because it just helps guide you. But I don't know if I do want to do that for my own help docs. Um, what do you guys think about that? Tagging is a, a complex thing, isn't it? Because you've you've kind of got to have a plan from the outset with tags, um, and that can be when you're starting a new project a, a little bit tricky to actually sort of work out. Um, has anyone had experience doing that from the very inception of a project before? Uh, only in that we're kind of retrofitting it right now. <laughs> I think that's kind of what everyone does. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it's it's also more to just have it there to maybe do something with it at some point in the future. I don't know mm. if tag. I actually also quite like tag clouds, but I kind of feel like there's something that are a bit 
I don't know. You don't see them as much as you used to, really. I don't know exactly why, but yeah. um, they're not as common as they used to be. Um, maybe just because search is better. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. I've got a new idea I've been kicking around. So I, I mentioned I'm building a new version of this documentation theme. And the way I've conceived it is that um, you can have multiple products on the same site. You maybe have 10 different products that each have their own set of documentation. But the tags uh, will go across products. So let's say you have a getting started tag. It would surface results from all 10 products. Whereas uh, if you're just looking at that product specifically, your sidebar navigation is only that product. Uh, do you think tags um, like uh, cross guide tags sort of thing? Yeah. 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 I don't know. It's just a, an idea. I, I've never really had a lot of success success with tags, but um, no, I love that. Even if it were not tags, I this is something I want to do when we do make this um, move to the new content platform we're going to use, is to have content, the ability to have content displayed in multiple sections. So you have a getting started section. It does that same thing. Yeah. So whether yeah. or not you actually see the tags per se, but the content is there in up to four locations if necessary. Mm, All yeah. right, Carly, Carly, I'm curious, what is the new content platform you're moving to? Can you share? <laughs> I've been trying to avoid saying it. <laughs> We're moving to Service Cloud and we'll be using the Knowledge CML, CMS built into, uh -huh. sorry, I should preface Salesforce Service Cloud okay. and um, the Help CMS that's built in there, which is called Knowledge and was never really built for public-facing um, documentation. But a lot of companies are using it for that now. So uh, it's a beast. Have you guys used Salesforce before? No, I haven't. Yeah, uh, very, 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 very <laughs> briefly several years ago. At, mm. at a previous company, actually, um, they, they tried to force us into Salesforce. Uh, they wanted, <laughs> because they had all the customer data, all the customer contacts were there, salespeople were there, support cases were logged there. Why not have documentation? And so uh, the knowledge seems like it would be okay for a knowledge base. But if you wanted to have a hierarchical table of or a hierarchical list of all your doc contents and kind of like a sidebar menu or something, um, you're not going to find that in knowledge. But uh, but it, as far as like a, a knowledge base that allows tagging and association with logged cases, it could be a decent solution. I think it will be okay. It's going to be a very steep learning curve. I mean, and this is happening. The project kicks off in February, so uh, <laughs> there's no backing out of it now. Mm -hmm. uh, but for that exact reason, I get exactly why the company's doing it. It's to put the content at the fingertips of sales support and anyone else who is working in Salesforce Service Cloud servicing our customers. And we are not doing the authentication piece to start with, meaning that with the documentation and who's viewing what, we won't be able to actually see what's what, but we are planning to do that in the very near future. And I think once we get it all set up, it will it will actually be really great for the company. It's the, just the authentication <laughs> piece, the authentication piece was like the, the killer feature that that made it so the company I was at wanted to use it. Because how else do you say that I only want this group of users to see these docs? It's like, well, you're gonna build your own authentication system or are you just gonna use Salesforce that we've already got. Like I could never get yeah. engineering. Well, well, actually, I don't know if community cloud sites were out at the time you're on that project, Tom. But uh, that's how we are effectively doing it to mm. make a very short version of a very long story. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. We, have actually, we have actually been um, thinking about some similar ideas, but having kind of 
it's the this is sort of the documentation that people are showing when they're in the so we kind of know what they who they are and what they're doing and what roles they have and the the spaces which is kind of i guess our terminology for projects that they have access to and things like that we've sort of rolled out version 0.5 of, of that idea maybe last week um and we will attempt to as it's a developer platform we're attempting to tailor it a lot more to the sort of languages that developers um select as the ones they use um with of course the option to be able to switch backwards and forwards if if they change their mind but um primarily showing them what they're most interested in um yeah it's kind of the pipe dream anyway <laughs> just, i i guess um i kind of i saw carly you added um a note i suppose that maybe we've kind of danced around this a bit in actually yeah trying to write things that the way that people are going to be looking for them so not using custom terminology that only makes sense to people who work for the company you work for um and things like that or compromises for that i suppose yeah an uh, example of that that i use for my docs is um as i work for uh, an email marketing platform and so we uh a lot of people know the term drip campaign uh mm -hmm. which makes me feel a bit icky when I hear it. I don't, I don't like that. But, um, <laughs> uh, I will use the term drip campaign in the intro to say, so, okay, you're going to send what we call uh, uh, an automated journey is the full name. But if you were doing, if you were setting up in that way, like fire off via this trigger and then send another seven emails over seven days or whatever, yeah. uh, we call those uh, like a journey series. So I need to get both terms in. So I pretty much always set it up by throwing in drip campaign and there's even another term that I know is very commonly used by our customers so I'll squeeze that in somewhere as well. <laughs> yeah it's actually strange we had this kind of uh, discussion shall we say on a on a, a messaging platform on Friday when we discovered that um, salespeople were using slightly different terminology to everybody else. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> we had to kind of come to an agreement on what everyone should actually be using because it would had, had surfaced that a customer had read documentation and said, so what's the correlation between these two things? And fortunately, it turned out that we were right, so that's okay. <laughs> but, um, of course the documentation people are always right. Come on. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it was kind of interesting as well, just that sort of interchanging yeah. terms. Like, well, of course it means that, you know, isn't that what everybody says? Like, That's no, such a funny topic because that happens yeah. with me all the time. I'm sure many other technical writers out there as well because in the product itself, like the, what's a good example? Not so long back, our marketing team were using, uh, we have this email builder in the platform and they were like edge-to-edge -edge backgrounds and meaning that you can have a full-width image behind mm -hmm. you body copy section and we would just call that a full width background mm -hmm. um but they're like edge to edge all capitalized and it's like no. <laughs> and had the problem customers coming along going i'm looking for this edge to edge thing can't find anything on it in your docs it's like oh damn it <laughs> yeah uh, full width <laughs> <laughs> I know, but it's not going to be boring. I get why they want to call it edge to edge. <laughs> Shouty yes. capitals included. Yeah. <laughs>
this this uh, discussion almost brings us back to a point we hit on in the in the past podcast about glossaries, because mm. so much of so much of somebody's uh, successful search depends on knowing the right terms to search. Uh, that you almost have to teach them what are the official terms. And although yeah. users may may prefer more informal terms, a lot of times we're stuck using the official terms that are used in the UI or the products terms or whatever, right? So, yeah. so we have to somehow bridge that gap between here are the colloquial terms, but here are the here are the official terms. And once, as a user, once you know what terms to search for, your searches get a lot more accurate, right? I mean, uh, there's this whole concept of um, iterative knowledge uh, building when people search, right? You search for something and the results let you know that, oh, the term that I'm really looking for is this. And then your next search uses that term. You get a little bit, little bit closer. So as you get more and more uh, knowledgeable about the right terms, you can better better find exactly what you're looking for. It's a little bit like we're, we're teaching you how we want you to search <laughs> in a way, in a way. <laughs> yeah. within, within our particular little part of the internet. Yeah. That's how we want to These are the terms that will get you the joy that you want in our docs. Have you seen many good examples of how a, glo a glossary something has definitely been on my to-do list for five plus years? <laughs> um, <laughs> Glossaries can work really well. Is that uh, well? We need to get someone to design it to look good. Like, it's nothing worse than just a, using a regular page and trying to make it into a glossary with a bunch of links, and it's just horrible to use. But then on yeah. top of that, surfacing it in the help contents so it's not invasive, but it's always there. How would be really cool <laughs> is if if it's possible in the system you've got, you could almost treat each glossary entry like a little atomic piece of content. And then try and include it on the pages where you really need to talk about that particular like glossary term. Uh, some services do that seamlessly, some less so. But it's a it's a possibility if you sort of take a more I guess topic based approach with the way you write. You can sort of add little bits of these like glossary terms in just where you need them, rather than having to refer um, people back to sort of like another perhaps page with all the glossary terms listed. Um, so there's there's some advantages in doing it that way as well. Um, or then, you mean like as hover text or something. So you've yeah a word and it's like this is what this. Mm. I've seen some really cool services. Like I know Gitbook does this really nicely. If you if you do a um, a glossary page in your book that you're writing, um, you can actually uh, every time you mention the abbreviated term or the initialism or acronym it will actually automatically highlight that for you in the document. So you can hover over it and it will give you a little preview text of what the glossary term is. Mm -hmm. And it's just really, really nice the way it does it. But then again, we come back to the problem, don't we, of things like too many links in, in documents and things like that, where if you sort of using the same term over and over again, does doing something like that actually make the document too noisy and you know make it harder to read for the user? Uh, so there's a balance, isn't there, that we have to think about when we use those sort of automated terms, uh, automated glossary tools and things. Uh, I had a colleague who was just talking to me last week about inline links, and he was he was saying that he he really doesn't like documents that have a lot of inline links because uh, he said, uh, and other people have mentioned the same thing that. Uh, if you have too many links in your document, it indicates that you've got a poor organization to your content. That if like you are 
pointing in every way. Oh, you want more information about this? Go here or there or there. Uh, then users don't have any sense of how the content is organized. Um, I don't know. What are, your, what are your thoughts on how many links are too many in a document, a tech well, doc? I, I kind of like lots of, lots of links. And I guess to me, it's that was the point of the internet. So I don't know. <laughs> Um, yeah, totally. A sort of, I guess the only argument that you'd hear from some would be you don't want to take people away from your site, which is a whole oh, yeah. other kind of separate discussion. But um, I don't know. I've always thought that links were a good thing for many reasons. Um, but you're giving me pulls for thought, well, but it's I'm not saying I actually heard that argument. So I'm, I'm not, not saying I necessarily agree with the person. I'm just <laughs> saying, so there's a lot of people and, and especially uh, there's a huge crowd within the data world of people who, who uh, really don't like a lot of inline links. Um, they, they would prefer to store all the links in a relationship table at the bottom. Yeah, like a seal. So yeah, I've seen, I've sort of been doing that a bit with one of the docs I've been working on in the open source world using sort of see also rather than sort of, I don't know, cluttering up the, the main body. And it's it's interesting. It, in some ways, I was going to sort of more talk towards the maintainability of that, but really there's no difference in having links in line versus links at the bottom. They, they're still links. Um, well, well the, the idea with Dita is that you're producing a lot of different outputs and a link that you have on your page may point to an output that is that isn't available for yeah. that document so mm -hmm. it's the only way to sanely say okay uh, i'm not gonna have any broken links because uh if you store all the links in the table the relationship table itself will automatically exclude links if the target isn't included in that doc set for the user right yeah. so that, that's their rationale which makes sense i mean it's hard it to does I think for my documentation work, it's all currently online, so that's less of a problem. But I have actually been working on a book, which is largely assumed that the majority of people will read as an ebook. So links are still possible, depending on the reader. But um, and I, I mean the digital reader, not the person reading it. Um, but I also know that the company does still produce print books and it has bothered me slightly in certain places where I've been putting in a link and thinking, what's, what's this going to look like? I don't know. <laughs> just, and I haven't really received an answer from the editor yet. I would probably actually should find out because yeah, you can't assume that everyone will read it as an ebook, even though it's a developer book and it's going to be high majority. It's not going to be everybody. So if yeah. there's a piece of information they end up missing because of that, um, yeah. Do you have I'm, any? I'm a big fan of inline links. I think uh, you need to just, it's almost stating the obvious, but you just don't go overboard with, you know, if I re reference the term custom fields six times in an article, I'm not going to link it every time. But if it is a lengthy piece, I will link it at the top and somewhere again at the bottom because it's just frustrating for users to, if they're like, I don't know what a custom field is. And I go, what? How do I go from here? And going back to the point of people thinking that maybe you've got a lot of inline links, you mustn't have your content very well organized. I always just come back to them with Mark Baker, every page is page one. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it doesn't matter how well organized it is. People are not coming from the start. They're not reading a book. They're online. That's right. They're jumping into any part of your document from anywhere on the web based on a search result that Google gives them. Yeah. And if it's, you know, you've, 
got a it's really hard to sort of this is coming down back down to like how to predict um how your users are going to enter your documentation um as well and that only comes down with i guess probably analytics um and seeing what pages get hit the most um from search results if you can get that information so yeah it's tricky are there any um, you, you can you know tag uh entry links so you know they've come from a google result and mm. present things in a slightly different way it's like you've ended up here we strongly suggest you start here <laughs> and, and then go you know, <laughs> <laughs> otherwise you're gonna have a bad time yeah. <laughs> are there any closing thoughts on on links and stuff before we move on to probably the the last topic um uh in our little chat today um anyone got closing comments What's the last topic? <laughs> I reckon we might have to wrap it up. And I was thinking of, um, we might be a squeeze in two. I was thinking of moving on to um, how navigation works hand in hand with, with the ability to actually find content in your documentation. <laughs> That's an easy topic. Okay, right. Yeah. <laughs> so for those, for those who may be wondering what we're talking about here, we're talking about things like, you know, custom sidebars um, for docs, um, card sorting, um, and those sort of things that you'll see traditionally in in sort of online docs. So what sort of techniques can we use um, in those sort of areas of our documentation to make a really great customer experience for the people looking at our docs? I have some thoughts on the sidebar navigation. Um, I think in some ways the, the massive doc sidebars uh, have, have done a disservice to the whole idea of a sidebar navigation because a lot of doc sites have this all-encompassing menu of every single page on the whole doc site and you end up with a sidebar that has like six different levels and you don't even know like where you are in it because it's just like expand 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 and you're in like six uh levels down anyway yeah. um the the art to uh to doing the sidebar is to get it so that it's an appropriate set uh, maybe you have 20 items or something. You, you're zoomed in to looking at a specific product or um, a specific feature, and you've got navigation built around there. And then you have to allow the user to navigate at a more macro level if he or she wants. Um, but but I don't think people should throw away the whole sidebar just because of some bad examples of massive sidebars that are unusable. Mm. Agreed. Okay. And building that kind of navigation from one product set to another, I think is really difficult, or at least it requires more more adjustment. It's a lot easier to just throw everything in one sidebar, right? But um, that, uh, uh, yeah, anyway, that, that's, I guess I didn't really have too many thoughts, but um, I, I'm sort of surviving a documentation experience where we had a platform that didn't have a sidebar, or at least it didn't have any granular controls to provide that navigation. And the result was a mess. Like people really <laughs> could not navigate anywhere. Uh, no matter, even though you have inline links in the page, just nothing replaces a, a basic contextual sidebar that provides links through a, a specific uh, set of documentation. How about things like breadcrumbs, Tom? Do you think they actually contribute to um, uh, users sort of understanding of kind of where they might be in uh, your documentation? Potentially, I, I actually haven't used breadcrumbs a whole lot. I've been trying to figure out how to implement them in this Jekyll doc theme I've been working on, and I have, don't have a good strategy. So maybe somebody else has another insight there. 
on breadcrumbs. I feel it's, yeah, um, it's interesting. I don't currently have it um, on the documentation set I control, but uh, yeah, it, it actually even bugs me a little bit sometimes when I'm in there. I sort of just like, I, I just want to, I mean, I can use search to get myself away, but say if I, I didn't really know the product that well, didn't have docs, um, I do find it a little annoying. I don't just want to go back. I just want to go back to that that parent category that I'm in instead of jumping too far back or too far away from where I was. But I get, it's just this is where, this is such a like complex topic, isn't it? Not complex, but it's there are so many different things you can do. We can't yeah. all do all of them. <laughs> and so. how do you and should you test one thing at a time, like with users to go, did that improve it? Instead of doing a bunch of different things at the same time, because then you don't really know which one worked, it's mind bending. Yeah, it is. I think so. Again, breadcrumbs is something I have always liked, but I feel like has become less popular. Also, again, I used to do more of it when when I was implementing Drupal sites. Um, these days, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I I guess also that whole issue we we're talking about of people arriving in different locations and wanting to accomplish different things, breadcrumbs kind of almost forces people to follow a certain path that maybe they don't want to. Um, I, I, but in terms of navigation, I think the, the little, I guess if, it's, if we can think of it as a journey, the journey that we've been trying to um, work our docs slowly in the direction of that we want people to follow is that, so for example, with, with the product you can have Say you want to perform a function, which is um, create an item of content. Then firstly, you can actually do it with the web app or you can do it with the API. So if, so we start with um, the topic of wanting to create content and present the web app way, which is fairly just, there's only really one way to do it, of course. And then the kind of more developer way, um, you could do it with the API, you can use an SDK and instead of having different um, uh, menu options and sub-menu items, we're kind of looking into the, the, I guess, the kind of like tabbed approach, which is effectively a sub-menu, I suppose, but people uh, look at it in a different way. So you actually kind of get the same basic content, but provided slightly differently, whether you want to do it in JavaScript or PHP or with curl or whatever, but you're kind of in the same place. You're not taken away and you can switch between the context for achieving the same task. I think that's kind of the approach we're trying to accomplish. And it's a sort of a menu, but slightly more subtle, maybe, maybe yet to be seen. But I've been thinking a lot about doing is it kind of goes back to something you mentioned earlier, Tom, with um, the like a getting started article or topic might be in the getting started section as well as potentially two others or one other. Um, in the sidebar, I'm wondering if it would be too much of a mess to have not only you it's quite standard to just have your related articles. Um, I almost would be happy to get rid of that in, and replace it with related tasks. But then I also want to have related tasks if you've been using a system for a while and you're like, okay, I want to buy some email credits. A related task would be update your credit card details. Whereas if you're just getting started, buy email. If you're looking at the buying email credits one. The, it's almost the next step of learning. So I want a separate list of articles on the side that are for the new user journey versus someone who's been using the tool for quite some time. I think that would be a mess. <laughs> like, 
I guess if anything is done right, designed right, it's not too bad, but. Look, I think it's definitely something worth experimenting with. And I think this is, from what I've heard from everyone today, it seems that the way to do search is just to give it a go and try and see what you <laughs> see what you get because there's so many different ways of doing it. And surfacing content in our docs um, will differ from organization to organization. And I think there's a multiple ways to skin a cat. Uh, but I think, I think taking, you know, that, but there's multiple ways to skin a cat. Yes. Um, poor cat. Um, <laughs> and our cat just did, our cat just made some very weird noises behind me. So I'll go figure out what it was. Actually. <laughs> but um, the, I think one thing, another little sub sub trend through this conversation is that trying to break up content as much as possible so that you can present it in multiple ways and um, allow people multiple ways of finding the same subjects. And whether that's through topic-based or just breaking things out and then rendering them together or whatever it happens to be. But um, you know, people Make expect things to be... Sorry? I was going to say allowing search to understand and and dial, dive into your content because it's in small enough chunks that it can go, oh, yeah, yeah this is kind of what this is about. So yeah. whether it's just short articles or actually like literally chunks that get assembled kind of dynamically, whatever level you want to go to. But just so it's, yeah, the the discrete items are easier to, to, to surface. Tom, you wanted to say something? I was just going to say, I once, uh, I once tried an experiment using semantic media wiki that would uh, allow me to, to provide lots of different groupings. So uh, it, it has the same kind of um, feature that you're talking about where you, you, you've got things in small chunks that have certain tags, and then semantic media wiki lets you uh, write queries that combine the chunks in interesting ways uh, for different groups. So you could have like a a list of topics for users in a certain location, a list of topics for users with a certain business scenario, a list of topics for users with a certain role. And so you can organize your documentation in like 15 different ways if you wanted, but um, the experiment kind of failed because I ended up with just these different lists and it was kind of weird to have so many alternative ways to kind of look at the, the same content um, mm -hmm. when users were expecting something much more standard um, with a with sort of standard entry and, and organization. So choose your own adventure documentation. Not the complexity of choice, but something, some term where it's like if you give too many options, the person is just frozen. They don't, yeah. It's almost like well, we're going to give you two ways. They might not be the right ways, but that's all you're getting. In in reality, I learned that like you've really got to have some some information facets that make sense to users, and this is a point Mark Baker's driven home as well. Yeah. And with documentation, those points are usually like what's the product, what version, what operating system, what programming language. Beyond that, like they don't make more sense. Like you're going to have a facet around a business scenario, around a troubleshooting topic. It's like it's too yeah fuzzy doesn't really yeah. distinguish and, and allow people to to filter in ways that make sense to them and it probably all comes back or it definitely does all come back to having good personas and you can't write or organize information for everyone but who are your key target audience types and do it for them and that's kind of the best you can do right
Yeah, I think that's probably yeah, a key observation um, that we can take away from today is that understanding your users and actually writing to their different needs with personas is a really great start. So maybe if you're if you find um, that you're listening to this and you're having trouble working out how to actually you know work out what your users are searching for, start with that if you haven't already done so. I think that's a really good suggestion. Actually, I've just given myself a good idea because we do have pretty good personas here and they're somewhat based on our real customers. Mm -hmm. um, so I could easily get, like, so we've got, I think it's four personas based on about 20 customers, you know, sort of funneled down into these four people. Uh, if I were going to do this glossary, which I'm, I think that might be my New Year's resolution, <laughs> that uh, work with... Before these, February. Yeah. <laughs> work with these customers to get, like, a, well, I guess a controlled vocabulary for, as a starting point. For a glossary like these are the key to what what term do you use and as long as they're all on board with like oh yeah yeah i know what that means go from there yep i think that sounds like a great new year's time box new year's resolution <laughs> yeah. and probably um on, at this particular junction of the conversation we should probably look at some wrapping up i think because uh boy have we covered some ground today <laughs> <laughs> and that's been really good because you know i i will openly admit that you know, I, I'm no expert with search, but I feel just that little bit more connected with it now after having a chat with all you folks here today. So thank you for that. Um, I think we, yeah, I think we will wrap up here. Is there any closing thoughts that anyone wants to get across just before you wrap up? My I think vote everyone's good. My vote for the season. next topic, for next uh, next podcast. Maybe we should talk about trends. It's always like a. A hot topic around New Year's. There's all kinds of Oh, yeah, of trends. Yeah, we should totally think about doing that. All right, let's do that for the next one. Sounds good. But in the meantime, if uh, you've enjoyed listening to the show and if you've got any questions for us, you can always come and contact us on the um, podcast room in Slack. So um, we'd love to I, hear. I, I actually show. really loved, I must admit, I don't know. I think, it, I think we had a flurry of activity after the newsletter or something. I yeah. actually kind of quiet and then suddenly there was a bunch of people asking questions and things and it was quite nice including yeah. wishing us to get better and stuff like that <laughs> yeah it was really good yeah it was it was great to see the interaction from that little from the little plug that we got in the newsletter it was it was great so yeah keep those coming we really like to hear your your feedback about the show and if you've got any burning topics that you'd like us to think about and cover um, we'd also love to hear those as well uh, as suggestions of the show. This is the, the idea behind the podcast is to make it relevant for, for you as technical writers, as listeners. So please do interact with us and, um, and let us know what you think. Um, barring that, have a safe holiday period. If you have time off, make sure it's enjoyable. Uh, thank you very much to our panelists today. It's Carly, Chris and Tom. Um, have a safe holiday, guys, and we'll see Thanks you in the new year. Thanks to you, Jared. We'll see you in the new year, everyone. Have a great break. <laughs>